Hello and welcome to the Boss Up Podcast, episode 243. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up, where we help women navigate career transition and step up as the boss of their lives. So the other day I got a DM on Instagram that went something like this. Do you have any advice for people like me who don't know how to approach their bosses about enforcing mask wearing, social distancing, etc.? I think it could help a lot of people out. And then she ended her message with one of those emojis wearing a face mask. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't believe this hadn't really occurred to me before. We are in the process of putting together some episodes related to this, but I felt like, oh my gosh, we're going to put something together for you right away because as states have started to reopen in the past few weeks, especially, and even for frontline workers who've been at work for months now, this question is top of mind for so many workers who are understandably fearful about heading back to the office. So today I want to clear up a few things uh, and share some thoughts and research on what's happening and how to protect ourselves and advocate for our own protection and our colleagues' protection in the workplace. Now, quick disclaimer here, I'm not a lawyer. Please don't take this as legal advice. Seek out an attorney for personal legal advice, and I am going to include tons of links at the bottom of today's blog post at bossedup.org slash episode 243. So first, let's answer one of the most you know basic questions first here, which is, can my boss force me back to work in the office? And unfortunately, the bottom line for most of us is, yeah, you know, if they say it's time to head back to the office and they deny any requests you may make for the ability to continue working remotely, your options and legal protections are very limited. There are a few important exceptions worth mentioning. First and foremost, the ADA. The Americans with Disabilities Act requires that employers make, quote, reasonable accommodations for workers who have actual diagnosed disabilities. Notably, that does include mental health disorders that are diagnosed by a professional, like an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder or PTSD. Unfortunately, feeling anxious, feeling scared, feeling depressed doesn't meet the threshold. And for a whole lot more on that discussion, especially around the ADA rights and accommodations and what reasonable accommodations actually means and knowing your rights, definitely take a listen to episode 56 of the podcast featuring Dr. Monica O'Neill as we talk through mental health at work and how to navigate that whole set of uh, can of worms. That's the right metaphor. Set of worms is what I almost said, but you know what I'm trying to say. Can of worms. Other exceptions to being forced back to work in the office, some states, including Massachusetts, New York, and California, have specific laws on the books that obligate employers to consider, quote, reasonable accommodations, once again, for pregnant employees. Unfortunately, being pregnant doesn't meet the threshold of at-risk or especially at-risk populations that were outlined in the White House and the current administration's guidelines 
on uh, returning to work safely. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because none of the guidelines coming out of Washington are legally enforceable. They are simply guidelines, like pirate guidelines, not the code. Uh, more like guidelines, right? So what's really troubling about this is that workers have very few protections because there is no concerted overarching set of protections coming from our legal institutions right now. So we're really relying on pre-existing laws that were set up to protect employees not in a pandemic, in this very unfortunate and bizarre pandemic that we're faced with now. Uh, and so the final legal protection that may grant some exceptions comes from the OSH Act, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which establishes the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, also known as OSHA. And it has what's known as a general duty clause in the law, in the act, which basically says employers must guarantee their employees a workplace, quote, free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm. Now, if you read any lawyer blog right now, which I have been perusing for most of today in preparation of this recording, there's some debate happening right now as to whether coronavirus rises to to meet that threshold. Part of the challenge here is it's hard to prove where you're getting coronavirus. So it's a high bar to achieve to say my boss or my employer is not guaranteeing me a workplace free from hazard Unless you have concrete, specific examples of your employer neglecting to protect workers or taking this very haphazard approach or just not um, not even putting policies in place to even pretend to be trying to protect workers. A lot of lawyers will tell you it's tough to make that case right now, but you can always file a complaint with OSHA but it's best to have concrete, specific examples if you're going to file a formal complaint against your employer with OSHA. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Second question I want to clear up here is, can my employer require that myself and my colleagues wear a mask at work? The DM that came in from my Instagram pal was asking about this specifically because she wants to wear a mask, but she's worried that her colleagues are taking it kind of casually and are not wearing masks. And from a legal perspective, options are limited. But what about from an employer perspective? And the sort of jury is not out on this at all. It is very clear. Yes, your employer absolutely can mandate that employees wear masks and even go so far as to fire employees who refuse to wear a mask, basically saying, you know, they don't want to work here if they're not going to abide by our shop policies or by our company values. Interestingly, the one area that attorneys are advising employers watch out for is treating different employees differently, meaning if your employer is going to mandate mask wearing, in order to protect themselves and protect the company from discrimination lawsuits, we have to ask all people to abide by the same rules. 
you know, especially a worker who's motivated to say that fascists are forcing mask wearing in an unconstitutional way, they could effectively sue if an employer only enforces certain groups of workers to wear their mask and not others. For example, you could face claims of race or sex bias if employers don't discipline a white male executive who isn't abiding by the policy, but does enforce it among, you know, black and brown workers or women workers. Now, one other wrinkle in the mask wearing mandate of your workplace policy to keep in mind is that there's a very clear policy difference between requiring masks and allowing workers to wear masks. Basically, according to OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Association standards, if an employer requires employees to wear personal protective equipment or PPE, the employer must perform a hazard assessment, consider alternative options to protect employees, such as installing a barrier between workers or customers, identify and provide appropriate PPE for employees, train employees in the use and care of PPE, clean and replace PPE as needed, and create a plan that's periodically reviewed. In other words, if they require and mandate mask wearing, they have to do a ton of work, including providing the masks that they're going to force you to wear. So some employers may be, unfortunately, motivated to not mandate mask wearing and just say that, you know, we allow employees to voluntarily wear masks, then none of those rules apply. Even if the employer pays for the masks and provides them to the employees, it can still be a voluntary program. So there are some unintended consequences with the OSHA standards, which make mandating as an employer that all your employees wear masks kind of a higher bar, a higher threshold or a higher or more costly, I should say, uh, endeavor than allowing employees to wear masks. So so a lot of attorneys are advising your employer to put in writing whether their policy is mandated or a voluntary option for workers. So check your bosses, check your company's policy and ask outright, does this company require mask wearing of its employees or is it an option that's provided or a voluntary program? And if it's required, then yes, there's absolutely something you can do if you feel like your colleagues are not abiding by that. So that brings me to the third and final part of today's podcast. What should I do if my colleagues are not adhering to the rules? And as a result, I feel unsafe at work, but I'm still being forced back to the office. Three things to think about here. One, file a formal written complaint. First, I would recommend filing it with HR, human resources, or your supervisor. Essentially, follow the protocol for filing a sexual harassment complaint, right? You're filing, in this instance, a complaint against a colleague or colleagues who are simply not adhering to company policy. If that fails to produce the results you want, file a formal written complaint with OSHA or the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Now, when you're making an OSHA complaint, you're filing against your employer for not providing a safe workplace. You're not filing against a colleague. You're filing against the whole company. 
One thing to keep in mind with making an OSHA complaint is that there's an anti-retaliation clause in the OSH Act, meaning you cannot be legally fired or demoted for asserting your right to a safe workplace and making this complaint. That being said, in order to cover your ass when it comes to retaliation, that same worker who filed a complaint must file a claim with OSHA within 30 days of any alleged retaliation. And this is according to labor and employment lawyers. So if you file a complaint with OSHA saying, my boss, my company is not providing a safe workplace, and they find out it was you that made this complaint, a week later, you're demoted or your hours are cut or people start saying nasty things to you in the hallway. I don't know. You're retaliated against. You're fired. Worst case scenario, you have to, within 30 days, file a claim with OSHA to say, I've been retaliated against and make that written kind of paper trail known. So let's say you've taken that first step. You filed a formal complaint and it still has not produced any action. Your second best bet is to try to take collective action with fellow workers. Now, if all of your fellow colleagues don't care and aren't wearing masks, this isn't going to be a good option for you. But even if there's only a handful of other workers, five to 10 other workers who feel the same way you feel, who feel like people aren't taking this seriously, rules aren't being adhered to, safety precautions are not being taken, get busy organizing. Start talking to people. Start organizing movements. Start petitioning collectively. And the reason why collective action here is so key is because the National Labor Relations Act, which established the NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board, protects this, quote, concerted activity under the law. So Let's say you collectively walk out, you walk out of the office after you've exhausted all of their options and gotten no response, you as workers withhold your labor. In that instance, because the NLRB protects collective action, you cannot legally be retaliated against for that kind of action. Again, retaliation is being fired or discriminated against or being demoted or any kind of, you know, any kind of negative repercussion or consequence or punishment for taking this action. Now, here's the thing about protecting yourself from retaliation. It's a long road, right? Can you still be fired? Uh, Yeah, we see this happen all the time. It's not legal, right? You know, this came up a lot in the Me Too movement. A lot of times sexual harassment claims are filed and then in the court of law, they're never proven, but retaliation is much easier to prove. So when women who filed HR complaints are forced out of the company, are made to be feel to feel isolated, are left out of meetings, are demoted, hours are cut, opportunities are limited, the lawsuits and settlements that they often win have more to do with retaliation than the sexual harassment itself, which is really hard to prove in a court of law. So do know that when you take collective action, there are certainly short-term risks. You could be penalized. You could be fired, despite it being not legal for that to happen. So write everything down. 
Be ready if something happens. Document everything. Prepare to, unfortunately, sometimes face real consequences in the short term and hopefully sue the pants off of your former employer for retaliation. So that brings me to my last piece of advice here of what to do if your colleagues are not adhering to these rules, and that is talk to an attorney. Get your legal team set up, right? Get an employment law attorney's attention. Talk to them. Oftentimes, they offer free consultations. They should be offering free consultations. If they're not, that's not the right attorney for you. At the end of the day, you have to consider your own personal risk tolerance. If you can't risk missing a paycheck, it is really hard to take collective action. You know, it is really hard if you feel financially cornered to stand up for yourself. You know, suing your employer takes a long time. We're talking years here. It can be expensive. It is not an immediate solution, despite the fact that you have protections. All of this is to say this puts workers in a really tough position because, A, it's a good reminder that we in America don't have that many protections for workers on the whole. And B, we're flying blind here, people, in a pandemic where we have no, as I mentioned at the top, no enforceable protections for workers coming out of the federal government. That is a really scary place for us all to be. So I feel for you. I'm rooting for you. If you feel scared going back to work and want to advocate for your ability to stay safe and stay home and keep your colleagues safe and keep your family members safe, I get it. Um, we need to demand more of our employers. We need to be outspoken. But at the end of the day, all of that activity comes with great personal risk. And unfortunately, that's one of the failings of our capitalist economy. I'm an entrepreneur. I talk about my fan. I'm a fan of capitalism most of the time, but not this time. No way. This is a major problem where we're not putting people's lives and health first when we are talking about reopening the economy we're putting financial bottom line business metrics ahead of health that puts us in a really tough situation. Partly, I think that's why so many people are job seeking right now, because even if you do have a steady job and you are lucky enough to not be one of the many millions of people unemployed right now, the way your employer acts in a pandemic tells you a lot about who they are and whether you want to stick around and be part of their team. You know, this is a very make or break time for teams and for leaders and for workers to join forces in keeping each other safe. That's my hope. My hope is that leaders and workers at every level can get together and say, how can we create a new normal that is better for all of us than the one we were operating in before? So if you are feeling scared about going back to work, if you feel like you are cornered, if you are stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to standing up for yourself versus putting food on the table for your family, head to bossedup.org slash episode 243 and click through to the three articles that I linked to at the bottom of today's corresponding blog post. I'll put them in the show notes as well. There's a great Wall Street Journal article, a time.com article, and an AARP article of all things that has some really helpful additional information on knowing your rights as a worker in terms of going back to work while still protecting yourself. Stay safe out there, everyone. Advocate for what you need to stay safe. 
And together, let's watch each other's backs. Let's stand up for one another. Let's use our privilege on behalf of those who have less than we do to speak out and speak up. And together, let's lift as we climb our way out of this mess. I'd love to hear what you think about today's episode. If you found it helpful, share with the people in your life who you know could use it. And of course, as always, tag me at Emily Aries or at Boss.org on social media and weigh in in the comments section on today's corresponding detailed hyperlinked blog post at Boss.org slash episode 243.